Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't recorded that. Fuck's sakes. How, when did you want to start? <laughs> Are you doing an intro or just like? Uh, kind of, I normally kind of just get into it. Okay. But um, yeah, anyway. uh, thank you for coming down. Um, no, really appreciate you. it. I've been excited to come down. Um, yeah. Yeah, like I was saying, um, what kind of a role does ego play in developing a fighter and making that fighter go from good to great to one of the goats? Um, so, there's that, I think pretty much every jiu-jitsu gym I've ever been to has had like, the sign on the door that says... Come a bit further in. Um, there you go. Every, every jiu-jitsu gym I've been to... Um, pretty much uh, has a sign on the door that says, you know, leave your ego at the door. Except ego's what's going to make you want to win. Like the amount of times I, like early days I'd get submitted, or even now if I get submitted, I'm like, well, that's never happening again. That's my ego talking. That's my ego saying, no, I, I refuse to lose. I'll fix this. I'll come back better. Um, someone who hasn't got that isn't someone who wants to succeed and that's that's the driving force of everything like if you any any adversity you face it's your ego that says that's never going to happen again and and you you want to come back better yeah um the only problem i think that we we can maybe confuse the word ego for being just a douchebag like you can you can keep you you know you can have your ego and you can you know want to succeed and everything like that but if you if you are then someone who just like wants to um, act like an asshole to people then people oh yeah his ego's getting in the way no it's not like <laughs> he's just a bad person or she's just a bad person so it's more about harnessing your ego to for for the greater good or for your yeah, own good. Your greater good yeah you want to i mean we want to we have fulfillment in our lives you, you know especially if you are uh, a sports person an athlete or someone who wants to succeed in career uh, it's your ego that what drives you um, it's interesting, like you, you know, you talk about MMA, uh, the likes of um, was it Paula Costa and John Jones and Connor and people like that. They'll say stuff like, you know, oh, like John used to say, oh, I used to get wrecked like the night before a fight. Like used to get like blackout drunk. Like when the, when Paula Costa lost to Izzy, um, he said he like downed bottles of wine the night before. And you think they're obviously not stupid people. Like this is your biggest fight of your life is happening tomorrow yeah and you're downing bottles of wine or like cocaine or whatever and you think why why would you risk it and it's because they're trying to to create a back door for their ego because if it fail if they fail and they are peak condition you know completely sober everything like that they lost that's going to hurt their ego yeah yeah if they can turn around and go actually no i was drunk I was, um, you know, I'd stayed up all night partying or something like that before the fight. That's why I lost. Like, Connor was, like, pretty good at it. Like, you know, he'd say, like, before, what I think it was at the Khabib fight or something, that like he'd hurt his foot or whatever, and they come into the fight injured. Oh, no, it's my foot that caused the issue. Or John's another example, so, you know, you get out, you know, completely drunk. I mean, I, I, I know this, for, for example. Like, when I used to compete a lot when I was younger, um, when I became better like purple belt brown belt I'd, uh, I'd i'd enter open weight divisions and open um 
belt divisions. So like even there's sorry, um, so open weight is any weight categories, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So as in, you know, talking a few years ago, some competitions you wouldn't have many people at upper levels competing, and so if you wanted to fight, you'd have to maybe, you know make some uh adjustments shall we say so i remember fighting as a purple belt like 82 kilos 83 kilos at like 100 kilo black belts and Shit. when you think at that point my ego's at the at the level where it's giving me a back door if i win i just beat a bunch of 100 kilo black belts if i lose well i'm an 80 kilo purple belt fighting 100 kilo black belts what do you expect yeah. like, it kind of gives you that kind of underdog feeling and I did win a couple of times, you know, and, and I, I hold on to those. Um, and the amount of times I, I hear that of, of other people, like they would um, purposely just fight bigger dogs or, or get out drunk and stuff like that. It's amazing how many of these little weird uh, coping mechanisms you create to try and like justify loss to yourself. Yeah. Do you think people do that in life as well then? Um. I think so, yeah. I think uh it's easy to, to I think when you when you're when you're settled into a job or something like that, it's easy to, you know, kind of coast and you're not going to your ego's not gonna affect it too much. But when you start maybe pushing yourself further and you, you start to become more visible, I think so the, the, the moment. Like if you if, if it's just you and no one cares, your ego's in check. But it's when you are visible to other people, then you're more likely to start doing daft stuff to try and give yourself an out when you know when you lose in front of people and go, well, why did that happen? Well, this, 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 and oh, okay, that's why you lost. Yeah, but you can't do it to yourself. Okay, how long have you been um, training for? So, how old were you when you first started? Uh was it jiu-jitsu or Brazilian jiu-jitsu that you started first? Um, so I started, so I'm actually from Stafford. Um, I started karate jitsu in Longton when I was, uh, that would have been end of 2000. So I would have been about 13 years old. Um, run by a guy, I think his name is Kevin O'Connor. Um, and it was, it was a cold, dank, normal martial arts gym. Um, and then it turned out uh, the following year, so it would have been the beginning of 2001, it turned out that my uh, one of my friends was going to a traditional Japanese jiu-jitsu gym that happened to be 200 yards away from my house. So instead of traveling 40 minutes to go to Longton, it was a 10-minute 10, oh, 10 walk, if that, um, to a jiu-jitsu gym. And so I was like, oh, okay, sack that off. I'll go to this place. And I started a place called Keshiru Jiu-Jitsu Um yeah, uh, March 2001 and trained there. It was traditional Japanese. So it was, it was like a mixture of compliant judo mixed with uh, karate. Um, did that up until got my brown belt in that in 2003. And then uh, so this I would have just been leaving high school uh, that summer. Um, and I was badly beaten up, like terribly battered, battered uh, mugged. Uh, uh, broad daylight on the way home one day um like completely caved in half my face i still can't breathe out of half my nose and that messed me up i couldn't go outside for the longest time and 
it made me then like want to learn more violent martial arts so i took up thai boxing soon after that uh and i still had the you know i still watched a lot of bruce lee and played tekken and stuff so i thought kung fu would work so i took up like lao gar and wing shun but when you when you are doing thai boxing and you've got adults like kicking your legs in and then you go to kung fu and you're just standing in the middle of a ledger center just punching the air you're like oh this is very different <laughs> so i kind of didn't carry on with those and i stuck with the uh the Thai boxing and the and the Japanese jiu-jitsu. Uh, got my black belt in that in... Well, no, I left for a bit because I, I hurt my shin Thai boxing. I cracked my shin. So I, I left martial arts 2004, 2005. Completely. Yeah, yeah, stopped. Uh, became grossly overweight. Um, I was living off just chocolate bars, KFC, pizza. I'd like... I was working in an office. I was a search engine, search engine optimizer. And I would um, have like KFC for lunch and a pizza for dinner and just eat like eight chocolate bars a day and drink two liters of Coke. I was massive. Um, Going to like just music gigs. How old were you? Um, So 2005, I would have been about 18 years old. Um, Then that kind of stayed up until around about 2000, early 2007. I was like, I can't. I'm going to die if I keep doing this. I'm barely 20. Um, what made you realize that? Um, a, the mirror. Um, and then like, I think you get into this kind of rut and then you just don't break out of it. And then uh, I, I broke up with my then partner and uh, well, I had loads of free time. So I thought, right, I'm going to fix myself. So I took up, went back to Japanese jiu-jitsu uh, as, a, as a brown belt, brown white belt. And I was like, right, I want to, get my black belt finally went back to thai boxing as well uh got my black belt in japanese jiu-jitsu in april 2008 uh opened up a japanese jiu-jitsu school in stafford um i was like um, in my early 20s and then beginning of 2009 sorry was that fighting fit no 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 this is uh, an offshoot of kashiru okay a, a, a satellite gym um so still like you know teaching a syllabus teaching uh punching in the air and compliant judo and still pretty hard throws and everything that you know you'd still bounce off the floor but it wasn't necessarily as as heavy sparring then around about end of february 2009 went through another breakup had loads of free time suddenly come up and i thought you know i'm a black belt in japanese jiu-jitsu still had this idea that i knew how to fight so I entered a judo neiwaza competition, like ground fighting. And, you know, we did a little bit of ground fighting in, in Japanese jiu-jitsu. I thought, you know, I'm a black belt. I'll, I'll muller these people. I heard legends of this gym called Fighting Fit of, like, savages. And I was like, oh, I'm going to try this place out. Um, and that was, I think, the 3rd of March or something, 2009. So I walked in, cocky, you know, early <laughs> 20s finally got in shape thought i was in shape um went to this uh submission grappling gym fighting fit and that first night my coach put me in hospital like <laughs> he he messed me up pretty bad <laughs> like i i thought he'd, he'd he'd snap my neck or something i was like oh good god and i'd already entered into this judo and it was a competition it was about three weeks away yeah and i realized i didn't know actually how to like ground fight to any decent level yeah 
And so I had three lessons at Fighting Fit, then entered this judo, and it was a competition. And it was against BJJ Blue Belts. I'd never, I, at this point, I'd heard of BJJ. I didn't know it's called Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. I thought it stood for blowjob job. Um, <laughs> and so when I saw it mentioned online, I thought it was like some sort of weird, like people say, oh, you, you know, you're having some of that BJJ. And I'm like, blowjob job. Like, that sounds so weird. Um, and so I didn't know much about it. I thought, because my- It's a really unfortunate acronym. <laughs> it is. It is when you don't really know much about it. I think mean, now, obviously people do, but yeah, my, my cousins w- would watch the UFC, but I thought it was just like WWE. I thought it was fake. Um and blowjob job and so i went to this this student it was a competition as you know three days worth of actual sparring experience yeah no fitness um and i was against blue belts and purple belts and a judo black belt and i got the shit kicked out of me like so bad like they just fucked me up i was like I, I i remember being in the bathroom like practically crying just like my face was smashed in and like i was just wrecked and i was like oh good god wait is that striking allowed in these competitions no 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 it was just it was but like the ghee burn across my face and oh, like, you okay. know it, like really like i still haven't done any ghee work yet so i don't know what that's like this was very new to me and it was also like i'd never felt that level of aggression because it was, you know, strange competition. I was like, this hurts. And I had no cardio. Um, like at this point, I couldn't run more than like 200 meters without gassing. Like I'd never done long distance. I And I joined the gym soon after that. And I remember putting like 10 kilo on either side of a barbell and dropping it on my chest. Uh, trying to do a uh, bench press and like some dude just like coming over with one hand and like lifting this barbell <laughs> off me because <laughs> i'm just there like dying underneath it <laughs> i was like i am i'm not fit in the slightest i've lost some weight but i'm not fit um i have no cardio i have no strength and i've just decided to enter a competition and just got the, the shit kicked out of me i need there's a lot i need to fix right now um so i bought a load of books this is like what YouTube had been out for like two years at this point, so there wasn't mm-hmm. much jujitsu content, if any, on YouTube. There was like early submissions 101, like Eddie Bravo's kind of uh, style. Um, and so I just read a lot. And uh, like the style of fighting fit at the time was submission wrestling, and it was just warehouse fighting. It was like if you want to pass the guard, you just neck crank the other person until they let go of their legs. Um, there was no like Del Heaver or like single leg X. You know, if you if you stood up, you both stood up and started wrestling like men again, that kind of thing. Okay. And it was just you know savagery more than anything else. You know, you know my coach would put a a bin in the middle of the room and would be like, right, when you want to throw up, it's there, just so you don't have to leave the mats. And like, so you'd be there like chucking up in the gym in, in the in the bin and then straight back into the next roll and stuff like that. Um, or like you do stuff like called Animal Day, where, um you would no submissions allowed um and you weren't allowed to hold a position for more than two seconds and you just had to batter the other person in until they just gave up so you get them out and just bounce their head off the floor and then move somewhere else and it's like knee them in the chest repeatedly of that neon belly and you just want to hurt them and it was just blood everywhere at that point and i was like this is amazing like, these, <laughs> these guys do not care like one thing about you know when you're in the winter at fine fit like you go outside and it's warmer. Like you come down the stairs and it's warmer outside than it is inside. I think it's just because it's 
God's blind spot. Like you know, in like a, in a horror movie, yeah. Like you know, when the, there's evil present, and uh, like the air gets a chill, that's fighting fit. <laughs> I've not- noticed that downstairs, it's water. Like you said, it's warmer outside than it is um, inside sometimes. Well, have you, uh, have you been to our stone gym or just a Stafford gym? It's just a Stafford one I've been to so far. The stone gym. That's the uh, that's the the hellscape. That's the um. It's at the top of like a disused factory. There's posters up that you know of uh, Holyfield versus Tyson. What's that? Like '96. Um, like it's an old, old Rocky style gym. Okay. Uh, like there, there used to be a canvas in the in the boxing ring. Just it looked like a Jackson Pollock painting. Just blood <laughs> everywhere, and like it never been cleaned and stuff. If you rolled in the ring, you were coming out of ringworm, guaranteed. Like you knew someone had ringworm, like, oh, you've rolled in the ring today, haven't you? Yes, you have. <laughs> um But that that was fighting fit and uh, it had this reputation for a reason, just because these guys didn't really know like technique. They just had horrible training practices. Like you come up it's three stories up and you'd arrive and you know, Stocky would be there with like a, a, a sledgehammer or a bike chain and he'd hand you it and go, right. No one else is here yet. You're going to do stair runs till they arrive. And you'd just be carrying hammers up and down the <laughs> stairs constantly. And like your legs would be like dying. And like with a bike chain around your neck. Um, can't do that kind of... Like when I took over. So so he had a accident, like a bike accident. Late 2009. So uh, the gym was like left to me. Um, I was saying to you just before we started. Like the, the gym owner basically said like you're the... You're you're the least stupid person really in the room um and you have a kind of recently read books you just look after it until they come back uh you know when they're fixed and that was 2009 and they haven't come back yet um <laughs> and so i kind of carried on those same training practices and then you realize no one stayed like only nutters would stay but when you have someone who's you know maybe who wants to get into jujitsu you know, interested in combat sports and then the first time they walk in you just like literally put a sledgehammer in the hand and go right start running fatty and like and they're there like chucking up on the stairs and then they never come back <laughs> you're like oh this isn't conducive to growing an effective team yeah for me i think the first time i came um i came with one of my managers from my previous company um simon holbrook yes yes he's still with us yeah um he's the one yeah i mean to be fair just like you said just like how you got into it um i'd just gone through a breakup and suddenly there's a lot of free time on my hands and um i'd got quite fat at that point as well and i kind of went on this insane fitness journey where i was going gym like five six days a week cycling every day and then i've always been interested in jiu-jitsu and i think it was by pure chance i was just looking it up and then i was just talking about it at work and then he said oh we've got one here why didn't you come when i came then i remember immediately getting choked out like within like less than five minutes of me being on the mats was that simon who did it or someone else um it might have been i think it was simon the first time yeah that sounds about right because normally most people will look after you Simon wouldn't. Like, Simon wouldn't care. <laughs> I mean, it was good in a way because it kind of showed me what I was getting into. And then obviously I injured my knee and I was out for like two years. Yeah. 
yeah of course um yeah it, it does and it, it's trying to find that balance of like it, convincing people that this thing is legit and it's it works and it's fun and it's going to be hard work for you but at the same time not breaking you like yeah it's that fine balance and we've definitely swung in both directions over the years i mean to be fair i did it to myself because i'd got super obsessed with it and i was literally i'd come back from work watch youtube videos on this and then come into training and i think i just did a leg lock, a leg lock on someone else and i did not i did not do it right and i hyper extended my knee and tore my meniscus which yeah <laughs> i'd say like you know, usually when people start, I, I say to them like, it's very, very rare you actually get injured by someone putting you in a submission, unless actually no, it's, it is exceptionally rare. The only time I ever really see people get injured through being stuck in submissions is when your ego won't let you tap, and then you're like, no, I can hold on, I can hold on. All of a sudden, just like something pops, you're like, oh wait, no, that didn't work. Um, for someone to actually then go out and maliciously hurt someone else i don't think i've really ever seen it like maybe once or twice in 14 years but out of the the, the thousands of hours i've put in on the mats it's very rare it's more likely you'll have someone try and survive longer through a submission and then it go wrong for them that's happened a lot that's happened to me a lot because i'm an idiot um but the vast majority of, of injuries is just accidents. When you have two fully grown adults going at each other at full tilt, things happen. It, it, it did make me think once, like um, a, a good friend of mine from Norway used to be like almost a pro footballer. Um, and he said that, you know, football's a lot scarier sometimes than you imagine because when, you've got, when you're running full tilt and then some dude just runs in with his legs and chops you down, it's the fact that you're not expecting it that does the most damage. Like you're not braced for the damage to come in and that's what causes it. Mm. And when you have like, you know, two fully grown adults just running each other down, things happen. And in jujitsu, you have two fully grown adults throwing each other around. You can just land wrong, break a finger or just like get a knock to the face, like an errant elbow. Like anyone ever says that jujitsu is not a striking art has never rolled with a white belt. Like the amount of times I get punched in the face, like just a, and, you know something that like comes flying out, and I get a black eye or something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's pretty much what happened a couple of months ago when I broke my rib, got a knee in the chest, and that was completely accidental as well. Exactly. No one, um, no one really goes out to hurt another person. Like we go, we go. Okay, no one goes out to injure another person. We go to hurt them. Like I want to make you suffer. But I don't want you to be like injured afterwards. I just want you to be in pain at that moment of time. And it's actually interesting. Uh, so I get to travel around the world doing this an awful lot. And one thing I've noticed over the years is it's it's very much like a dance. As in, when you roll with someone, if they roll like a douchebag, you don't want to know that person as a friend afterwards, really. Like, you know, say if we've never really met before, it's like, hey, you know, nice to meet you. I'm Chris. Uh, let's roll and you start sparring and it's it's fun it's friendly you know you it's competitive and you you know uh 
you're having a good time you know five minutes passes we're best friends now let's go for a, let's go for dinner um but if you roll someone and they hurt you like actually try and hurt you and they you know they roll clumsy or something and they're like hitting you in the face a lot and you're not enjoying the roll after it's like yeah they might be the nicest person in the world but it's like kind of like chemistry of like a dance and then you walk off and you're like you know screw that person i don't really want to know them yeah what's it like going abroad and doing um training and classes um people will always try and show how good their gym is and so if you really want to like know how far you are going in jiu-jitsu just go to another gym because people will try and like prove their jiu-jitsu that their gym is better because that is it's almost like a group ego at that point like we've got the good jiu-jitsu here like hurt the new guy and um that's a lot of fun but even even like uh so the globe trials camps i do which is essentially just then like you know 250 people from all over the world in a random gym somewhere and wherever um even if you don't know the same language or you know there's a, a definite language barrier or whatever you have that universal handshake you slap hands you bump knuckles and you go and then even afterwards, like the the language barrier remains, but you're already friends if that if that role or that chemistry was there, and it then becomes quite painful in that you meet all these people and you you jujitsu requires quite a lot of trust in that you know essentially a win for the other person is them putting you in a situation where they could either mutilate or kill you. Like if you get me in a in a in a choke, you you're stopping blood going to my brain. After six seconds, I'm going to black out if I don't tap. After those six seconds have passed, I am defenseless. If you carry on choking me, I will die. Um, you're hanging me, essentially. And so if you're not looking after me at that point in time, I could be tapping and you could just hold on and I'll go out. Or even if I don't tap because my ego is messing with me and I do go out and you don't notice and you just think, screw this guy, he's not tapping, I'll squeeze harder. You could end up killing me, even by accident. Or if you go for a submission and you slap it on a bit too fast or whatever, you're going to break my arm, you're going to break my leg, my ankle, my wrist, or something. And so the simple fact that we're going to enter a game with each other, someone who I don't know, and there is a legitimate chance they could hospitalize me or even kill me if this goes sideways. That requires an awful lot of trust to put into another human being straight off the bat, which is why I think it creates this this amazing... Uh, friendship afterwards even purely by accident like oh my god i trust you you didn't hurt me um which then meeting loads of these different people around the world and you build up that kind of really strong trust with them instantly um it means it's it's quite painful because you have friends dotted everywhere and like you just want to see them all and so you just you realize that there isn't enough time to go maintain all these fun friendships you want to have like uh, I love it. Every time I go to a camp and like there's people there who I've met through previous camps, we pretty much just jump on each other. Like I've, I haven't seen them in like a year, and we only spent a week together. But it's my best friend all of a sudden, and like it's quite, it's quite interesting the fact that that jujitsu can do that to someone. Like it's it's quite unique, I think, in that way. Is it because as a sport, it's fairly intimate because you are pretty much up in each other's face and also like you said there is a lot of trust between the two uh, two people who are um, fighting with each other i think that's one thing we found out from from covid is you know we, we obviously had to put a, a, an end to training uh distancing etc 
And we didn't realize, or I didn't realize, how much we all missed that kind of close physical play with another human being. And it's, I think it's one of the things that we're not kind of used to, is that you have a partner and you're intimate with your partner, but you don't really have a kind of social, physical interactions with other human beings. Like you think, you know, as, as, a, as a human, if you, if you, on an average day, week, whatever, if you have kids, okay, you hug your kids. If you have a partner, you hug your partner. If you have family members, you hug your family members. But just general physical social interaction with other human beings, you maybe shake people's hands, bump their shoulders or something. It's very lonely in the world. Like We don't really physically interact. We don't physically play. Like, you know, we, we kick a ball around or something or, you know, we, all our games are quite far apart. And it's one thing that kind of maybe strikes people when they start jujitsu is that it's very physically close. Like, you know, you, you want to make sure that you are showered before you go in because they are going to get really close to you. Um, and I think we do need that as humans. Like, you know, we're, we're primates and we're one of the probably only primates that doesn't socially interact in that way. And so, you know, we play this game, we basically ride around on the floor and enjoy this. And then we take it away from us because of a of a global health scare. And it was it was painful. And then we all came back and it almost like could bring you to tears, like you'd missed it that much. That first role was was unique. And I don't think we'll ever feel that kind of moment again, like, oh my God, I really needed this. Um and yeah, I think that that does form part of it as well. It's a, it's a it's a I don't I refer to the club as a, a jiu-jitsu club. It's a social club that plays jiu-jitsu because we're all friends and we have that kind of primate bonding in a way. Yeah. Do you think there's also, obviously, um, it's quite a, a close group of people and because there's not like hundreds of people, do you think there's also that aspect to it? Because everyone does kind of know each other quite well i think i think it's easier you know to get lost in the mix sometimes if it is a massive group but i don't think jujitsu is at a point where yet where it could be that massive i don't think many sports are that massive like even like you know football you you you, you don't have clubs bigger than you know whatever else sport you want to think of like you know 30 40 people playing together or whatever um, and so you know, you do have those like mega clubs like Bajas and stuff like that, which, you know, maybe um, enter like, you know, three, four hundred students or something. Um, but then like every class like might be 30 or 50 people and you do start to know everyone by name. It was quite important to, to me to like remember everyone's name. Like it was one of the other, when I was first coming up as, a, as an instructor, one of, a, a good black belt, Dan Strauss, did say like he makes an effort just to make sure every, he remembers everyone's name because it's one of the most important parts for you, your name. Like if someone just good looks and goes like, you know, hey bro, every single day. Like, oh <laughs> that sucks. Like you can use that term affectionately afterwards, but when you start saying, you know, hey Steve, hey what you know, hey Darren, hey Jill, oh, I matter. I'm like, yeah, you do. And and um I think that then forms part of the social interactions afterwards. Like everyone then uh welcomes that person in and it's it, i think mixing with those other things about the trust and the uh the social kind of physical bonding you do just become good friends essentially you are playing like you know i played a lot of playstation growing up 
we are just playing a PlayStation game. We were sitting there playing a PlayStation game and um, you know, if I play a, a game against my son, I'm not just going to clown my son. I could. <laughs> you know, I've got like 20 odd years of playing experience under my belt. I could easily just smash him up and Tekken. But it's not, a, it's not fun. You know, I make it difficult for him. But it's a game. And this is a game. And, you know, I could easily come in and just, like, kneel on your head and then, like, just shut you down. But we're not going to play. I'm still going to beat you, but we're going to have a play. And I'm just the guy who played the PlayStation the longest. And I've got ideas on how to win in Tekken. That's essentially it. Do your kids do Jiu-Jitsu as well? I've tried. Mm, so many times. Like, <laughs> they just, I think it's because I'm their dad and they don't see me as a teacher at that point. Like, they just want to come up and cuddle me. Like the second they get any sort of adversity, like have a cuddle, dad. I'm like, no, kneel down, do push-ups, <laughs> just cuddle. Like, I'll put you in a different club, like where I am not here, because the problem is that you know me. I think that's how. You, I think that's how. Uh, anyone who like who runs a jujitsu club, who then runs a kids class, that's the only way they can get the kids into it is if they're not there. Like, don't teach your own kids; it doesn't work. What kind of training do you do? Because, um, like, obviously, we're not having to run the camps and the classes and everything. Do you do any kind of training yourself? As in, as in jujitsu training, or as in like just physical exercise? Well, both. Um, well, jujitsu is very cerebral. I think compared to most sports, like if I was to download American football from Tom Brady into your head you're not going to be Tom Brady. If I was to download gymnastics out of Simone Biles' head into your head, you're not Simone Biles because physicality does play a massive part in those sports as well. Um, Obviously, they're great tacticians and stuff like that, but physicality is definitely there. But I think with jiu-jitsu, if I downloaded a black belt into your head, I don't think you'd be that far off being a black belt. You could definitely impose your will because you don't have to be necessarily very physically strong or flexible or agile or stuff like that. It's it's a cerebral game. And so I think most of my, my training just comes down to sparring and then just being conscious of what the hell I'm doing and trying to figure it out. And um, so I don't really feel like, you know, drilling and stuff like that. If I have ideas I, I want to try out, I'll try on the newest person in the room and then build it back up to, to the higher levels. Um, but rolling, like, like, is the best form of physical exercise for rolling like i want to get better at jiu-jitsu sparring i'll do more sparring there's no point me doing jogging to get better at sparring because i'll jog for an hour at a very slow speed with my legs and then i'll jump into sparring and it involves my entire body in different uh, moments of explosive um motions very different like even weightlifting like you know i might need to i might be able to push something off my chest but it had been a very controlled, um, given angle. People aren't that when they're on top of you. Um, yeah, I, I, I think it's. I used to do gym a lot, like you know, as I said earlier, like you know, dropping forty kilo on my chest. Um, I did train up until the point where I was lifting about one hundred and thirty bench, which is vastly better than forty. Um, but I haven't been a gym rat now in probably about five years. I just can't bear the the um it's just counting with heavy things and like it's so boring 
Um, so I rock climb instead. I go bouldering in, in Stoke. Um, which, okay. Which, again, I think it's that physical puzzle, physical problem solving. It's it's puzzles with your body, same as jujitsu. Someone sets you a puzzle, and you're going to solve that puzzle with your body. Yeah. Same as rock climbing. So is that how you got into jujitsu? Well, all martial arts. You just found a problem and you wanted to solve it. And effectively, I guess the problem was you getting mugged at the start. Getting into combat sports was definitely the mugging one, but getting into martial arts was I just played a lot of Mortal Kombat. As, that was that was it. As, yeah, as in I had a Mega Drive as a as a young kid from like you know, I don't know like age eight, age nine, played Mortal Kombat and Tekken, and like would spend entire summers just sitting inside just playing Tekken, and then I was like, oh my god, this is cool, and then getting uh, Enter the Dragon and looking at Bruce Lee and going, oh my god, that guy's cool as well, and then trying to find anything involving martial arts. I think I was trying to find a karate school, but my dad wouldn't take me. I was like, right, okay, and I saw this this jiu-jitsu school at the back of my house i was like right cool i'll go here and to pay for it i just used to go clean cars and you know every week or like you know save up change out of my lunch money and then okay that's it that's me jiu-jitsu this week so yeah as sad as it is it was just tekken (laughs) (laughs) the journey from a white belt to a blue belt to a purple brown and then black what are the kind of trials and tribulations that you go through in that in those stages? Because you were talking that, telling me that the journey from white to blue is a lot longer and maybe harder than it is from going from a brown to a black. Um, I think everyone has like their different points of view. There's nothing actually uh, codified in what each belt means. Everyone has a rough idea, and like the most general idea is, if you can beat up someone, beat up people at a certain belt, you are that belt. Like if you are a white belt and you're starting to beat up blue belts, that's a blue belt. It's basically a way of just like proving that you are of a better level. And over the years, kind of like it just becomes a general feeling. Like this, is what each belt feels like. I know roughly if I roll someone, what kind of belt they are. Like oh, it's a blue, it's a purple, whatever. But the way I kind of look at it now is that in a, you know the. Uh, you know the kids' film Hercules, Disney film. Yeah, and you know the fates have like a string of life that they like everyone has, and like that's one of the main plot points. Like spoilers, um, like cutting the string and stuff. That's how I look at uh, when someone joins jujitsu. They hand me this life string, and it's their journey. Like this is this is the journey that I want to take, and it's different thicknesses, different lengths, but it's always the same string. It goes starts at white and just gets darker. It goes you know pale blue, duck egg blue into magenta purple and then darker into brown and black and so it's never just like a solid color um like fruit pastels it's actually like you know a blend like a rainbow but each belt has like a a philosophical meaning to me like the white belt is a belt where you no longer move like a human being you move like a jujitsu person and it's a belt of defense like i don't like this happening to me how can i stop it from happening to me once you stop bad things happening to you, you can then start exploring and starting to play the techniques of jiu-jitsu. I mean, you can't exactly play the techniques of jiu-jitsu if you're just getting murdered all the time. And so it kind of makes sense that now it's, it's the buffet belt, the blue belt. Um, and by that, I mean, like imagine you go to a wedding and there's a buffet cart 
and you go down the buffet cart and you get to the first item it's sausage rolls and you have the sausage rolls you're like god damn these are awesome and you just load up your plate on sausage rolls um and i'm like oh did you try the scotch eggs scotch eggs no like i like sausage rolls like but you've not tried them purple belt is the blueprint of the black belt you will one day be so you've tried everything on the buffet cart and now you can go back and go actually you know what i do like sausage rolls more than scotch eggs but i also like pork pie i do like quiche and those crisps are fantastic right and that's the difference between a blue and a purple is that blues need to get over themselves and they just need to explore everything they can't form an opinion if they haven't tried everything once you've tried everything that's the purple belt so if i'm rolling with the blue belt and like they've got a really good a game they've got really good sausage rolls and then i take them out of the sausage rolls i'm like right here you go have some quiche and like and they don't know what they're doing like you're, you're still the blue belt you have you haven't got a breadth of knowledge yet purple belts have a good game like they, they you know they, they like hog roast you know with cranberry sausage rolls they know what they like but then you give them a bit of quiche and like, yeah, I do like quiche as well. And you're like, oh, okay, cool. You tried everything on the buffet cart. This is interesting. That's a purple belt. Brown belt is someone who is a connoisseur of everything on the buffet cart. Um, and what I would say is like a brown belt is essentially a black belt. Like they're very good at everything. They understand everything, but they're someone who hasn't got a legacy yet. And so there's someone who, because a black belt doesn't just come out of nowhere. Like everyone knows when someone gets given a black belt, everyone like, oh yeah, I know that guy. Oh, that girl or whatever. Uh, and what I would say is you then need to think, right, what do you want to be known for? Do you want to be known as a competitor, as a coach? You know, are you good at seminars? Do you want your own gym? Whatever. And so at that point, it's trying to then build their legacy for them. Like think of like, you know, from from Fighting Fit, Naki. He's very good. He's a black belt. He's, he's understanding of jiu-jitsu far beyond what i was when i was a black belt so there's nothing i can do really to help him and so now it's getting to the point where i'm just like right what do you want to be known for what do you want to be known in the competition world let's get you some competitions let's get you on some super fights right you want to be doing some seminars right i'm going to try and get you in front of some people and get you on some seminar circuits and just build up your coaching abilities and and that's where he is at now so i can look at every single person and think right where on the string are you on your string and so i can look at something right yeah okay you, you're you're you've got good defense and you're starting to play now you're going to go into like you know sky blue kind of colors this is interesting right and when it comes to like giving out belts i think sometimes it can be a case of you know when someone deserves it they're definitely that color like they're definitely in that philosophical moment but then some people are like you know they're maybe like in the in the powder blue cast stage and they're not really going down because they don't trust their own confidence and you're like no you know what i'm just gonna push you along a little bit i'm gonna give you that blue and then they then they become the belt you give them they like hold themselves taller and stuff and you're like oh okay that's it serves two purposes it's either as have a you seen that happen yes i i know i can feel in someone like you are good but you just don't trust that you're good yet and then i give them that belt and they become that belt and like they just hold themselves taller they hold that they have that kind of like they're higher up the, the pecking order and they go yeah I, I am this and they start just being better at jiu-jitsu and you're like that's so strange it wasn't for recognition it was to like validate that i think you are good when you don't think that yourself 
So what's your legacy from, you talked about um, becoming a black belt. It's when you've built a legacy for yourself. So I was quite fortunate as a brown belt. So I met, uh, so there's these camps called Globetrotter Camps and they were started by a guy called Christian Graugart, a Danish uh, black belt. Um, essentially, it was a way of um, independent uh, gyms. Part of, part of the problem with jiu-jitsu is still like quite a lot of tribalism. I know I'm going off on a bit of a tangent. No, no. Um, so back before the days of YouTube and VHS and everything like that, like gyms would be very competitive, like especially in Brazil. And so to um, kind of keep the gym secrets, you wouldn't fraternize with the enemy. Um, and so you go to competition, you do like, you know, the gym technique and you'd win with that technique and competition. And so if you're to someone who traveled around different gyms, you're called a crayonch, like a traitor, because you go and basically give away your gym secrets to different gyms or go oh, and steal okay. secrets and stuff like that. And, you know, traveling around was, was frowned upon. Um and that kind of hung over, like you know, if you if 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 you're from like a Gracie Baja gym, you couldn't walk into a Carlson's. You'd like you'd you'd end up in a in a parking lot bleeding. Um, I I never knew this. It's 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 it was very tribal. Like so, you have these affiliations. It's one of the reasons why jujitsu can't become an Olympic sport. Uh, is because it's still very tribal in those kind of like bigger team names. So like you have Gracie Baja, you have Carlson Gracie, you have Checkmat, and you have Atas and all these different. Um, uh, organizations and so when you when you go to compete at a competition you don't represent your country you represent the team okay. and the main um, organization that runs jiu-jitsu competitions like the most prestigious ones is called the IBJJF the International Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Federation and it's owned by the same guys to my knowledge that run Gracie Baja so that's like Manchester United owning the FA okay like, so huge conflict of interest conflict of interest and it kind of then like, suits them to not have this you know they have the world championships but when you go to the world championships you don't represent the united kingdom you don't represent norway you represent gracie baja you represent checkmat so the adcc is that part of um that's something entirely different okay um, I'll, I'll i'll mention that in a sec um so the ibjjf who you know run these biggest annual competitions like the worlds you represent your 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 team like, so you'd have, say, Fighting Fit Stafford. But Fighting Fit Stafford would be under the bigger affiliation of Checkmat or something. But you'd represent Checkmat at the organization. You actually have okay. that. You'd actually have your, on the, on the registration, you'd have your gym, but then the bigger team. And you can't enter without being part of a bigger team. Um, and so part of being an Olympic sport is you have to have non-profit uh, bodies running the sport okay and running it in a way that you have a world championship where you represent your country but you have a for-profit organization called the ibjjf running it in a way that you represent your team not your country so we can't be an olympic sport as sad as it is i'd love to see it i'd love to see us you know get bigger as a sport we're blocked um adcc that you just mentioned is is called the abu dhabi combat club and so some sheikhs princes uh, from Abu Dhabi uh, went to California for university in the early 90s met some uh, the Gracies oh my god this sport's cool we're going to put some money into it 
And so they started this this ADCC, the Abu Dhabi Combat Club, as a competition of just loads of different grappling styles. So sambo, wrestling, a bit more open rule set. And okay. just do like, and the winners got 40 grand out of each division. And so they run it like almost like an Olympics every two years, like across the world. But it's the same thing again. Like it's a for-profit kind of organization where it's just uh, winners get 40K out of their brackets. Um but yeah, so you have this tribalism when it comes to uh, the sport, um, and it's got a lot better these days because YouTube. You can't, you don't really have gym secrets anymore. Like, um, if you uh, have a technique, everyone knows that technique because everyone at a competition's got a phone. Like, there's nothing hidden anymore. But you still have a, a level of tribalism. Like, you, some gyms you cannot walk into if you're wearing like another gym's colors. It's like a no, no. And Christian, the guy who started Globetrotters, basically did a, a around-the-world trip in 2009, 2010. I remember him going on it. I remember the legends of this guy. And there were gyms that, that were like that. Like, you're part of this organization, you're not allowed in. Sorry. So he spent a lot of time at independent gyms. Like, people just didn't give a shit. And when he came back, he thought, I want to start a affiliation for those gyms that just don't care. Like, we're adults. What the hell are we being tribal for? Um, I met him beginning of 2013 as a white belt and he talked about this idea. I was like, look, we're an independent gym. I'm on board. And then he made it official and then he said, well, why don't we, we all get Why don't we all get together at my gym in Copenhagen and train as a camp? Well, like, oh, that sounds cool. So I went to Copenhagen beginning or middle, middle, late 2013 um, and then became this huge traveling circus where he goes around the world uh, invites a load of black belts like 20 black belts 200 people rock up at the gym and we train for like 10 hours a day for six days and it's just a, a massive party um, which is quite cool and that's where uh, a lot of this this traveling comes from so I got my belts through him and when I got my brown belt he gave me a shot and said look you're not a black belt but I've known you for years why don't you just teach one class at this camp and it went down well. It went down really well. And then I got my black belt through Preet. Uh, it's a Estonian fellow who I met for the Globetrotters camps. And Christian said, look, you're a black belt. You've already done a couple of classes. Why don't you teach you this class in Estonia? Um, and so it was essentially through Christian giving me a shot on camps that I then managed to get different seminars and build my legacy as a coach. And that's how I, you know, I did competitions and stuff. Like I managed to put myself in front of some different promoters. Um, but it was essentially Christian just like, didn't pay me or anything like that it was like here you go just teach a class and from that i met people who went oh that's pretty good why don't you come do a seminar at my gym thank you and it just grew and grew and grew and grew until eventually now i get invited around the world to do this um so that's how my legacy as a brown belt created my black belt and how fun is that being able to travel around the world and teach classes it's it's insane like I was a firefighter for 12 years and I expected to be a career firefighter till I was 60. Like, you know, you start and you're told, you know, here's your pension, put every month into your pension. In 35 years, you can have your pension. Cool. This is me for the next 35 years then. I'm going to live and die in this job just so I can have a good pension and retire at 60 comfortably. But I was working like, you know, 80 to 130 hours a week. Fucking hell. And 
um that's no way to live and so then and I, but i had no you know i had no idea that jiu-jitsu could go anywhere i was a white belt or a blue belt and all of a sudden this this thing happens and all of a sudden i'm going around the world i'm in norway like I'm like, what the hell am I doing in Norway? Like, I have—I'm not a spiritual person. I'm, you know, I'm not a, a, a religious person, but you know, I can have spiritual moments. And there are times I'm sitting there in like, you know, random countries. Like, I'd be sitting in Savannah, Georgia, like having pizza somewhere. I'm just like, how the hell am I here? Like, in what universe would I ever be in Savannah, Georgia? What in what universe would I be in uh, Rapid City, South Dakota? You know, the, it's got a massive Native American population. Um, talking to a bunch of guys on, you know, their guns and stuff like that, having burgers. I'm like, what? What have I done that allows me to be here and experience this? Like the funnest places I ever go to are the places I didn't want to go to. Like, you know, I wanted to go to New York as a kid because it's New York. New York's okay, but then you go to Rapid City and there's nothing there. But it's old Wild West. Like there's parts of it which are like proper old wild west like saloons i'm like this is the coolest goddamn place ever i'm in a goddamn saloon in the middle of like the midwest jujitsu got me here (laughs) this is so cool is that the most fun place you've been no i i everything like but again one of the part of the the, the benefit of, of jiu-jitsu is that you make these great friends and if you go somewhere as a tourist like you maybe look at trip advice and like, oh you'll try this out but you go somewhere as a, you know and you've got locals who are your friends they go no 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 this is where the good shit is and you go to the good shit you do the local thing like it was one of the things unless it's like heavily illegal or going to cause me great harm i try never to say no when i'm traveling like someone says try this okay <laughs> as long as it's not like you know something's going to fuck me up but it's like food or like an experience and like, hey, do this. It's, it's, the, it's the good local stuff. Like, okay, cool. I'm like, oh my God, that is awesome. Like, try not to be closed-minded on it. Like, I remember being in, in Israel, in Tel Aviv, and the, the gym owner from Octopus, Shaul, his brother uh, owned a surf shop. I'd never been surfing. And they were like, you know, we'll go out for some, uh, you know, some grill and then we'll go go surfing. I'm like, cool, okay. Never done it, but sure. There's a lot of jellyfish though do you think it's okay yeah cool i'm in then and there was a lot of jellyfish did he get his tongue hundreds of times <laughs> like i had a wetsuit on but there were so many jellyfish in the water just the water itself burnt because of the amount of like errant stingers in the sea and then you'd hit one of these things and they're everywhere and this in, the, in a room like this you're looking at maybe like you'd hit probably 30 to 40 jellyfish in this cap space they were it was a swarm and i'm surfing over the top of them and i'm just getting you know you hit you fall off your surfboard you're getting stung a lot but they said let's do it so i was like cool let's do it and I had a great time I, and so again but i never thought of going to israel or tel aviv never in my life thought i'd be there and here i am surfing like that's that's the the this the cool thing about this jujitsu journey and that's why I, I i left the fire service because i'm like i want to do this like i would hate myself if i got to 60 and thought i could have spent the prime of my life traveling the world doing cool stuff seems a bit stupid to be sitting in, in a fire station in stafford for that time kind of sad really <laughs> 
what country has produced probably the most well the best fighters as far as BJJ is concerned because we've heard that Scandinavian countries have some absolutely ruthless people come out um i think brazil's always had the the most by volume uh of of good um athletes because these guys it's a national sport they've been doing it since birth practically yeah america has a lot like you think you know you have like a massive wrestling culture so uh you know you've got kids you know high school college wrestling and then they you know go into sports and they've got a big sports culture um UK, not so much. Europe, maybe not so much as well. Okay. Um, Scandinavia, you know, you've got like, some some out of Norway and, and Sweden and stuff. But the sport, you think up until early 2000, even seeing a blue belt in the UK was rare. Like, if you heard there was a blue belt in the area, you'd go find that blue belt. Like, that's how rare they were. Like, purple belts, legendary. Brown belts are only things you'd see in seminars. And that was early 2000s. Even when I started, like, there wasn't any black belts within like a 30, 40 mile radius of Stafford. Like you had to travel to meet, to see a black belt. Um, now there's four, five in Stafford alone in the space of like, you know, since two, since 2009. Um, and so you think when it comes to uh, getting bigger as a sport, we're still in infancy in this country. Like they've had Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in Brazil for a hundred years. Like, they have red belts. A red belt is someone, if you got your black belt at 19, I don't think you can get a red belt to your 63. And Brazil have red belts, which means that they've, there's been guys who've been training from the age of five, got their black belt at 19, which is the earliest age you can get a black belt, and then carried on training. And now they're in their 60s, 70s, and they're getting their red belt. Is that just a... Uh, belt after you you get after you put the time in yeah yeah so it's just like it's time served after black it's just time served like you know i got my first degree on my black after three years which is you know and then three years i get my second degree and stuff like that um and red belt is just about you get a coral belt i think fifth or sixth then and then red belt you get a ninth but you'd have to be in your 60s which is insane that there's, there's guys uh, out there have been doing this sport for already 50 60 years of their life that's that's bonkers to me um we're not there and it was actually quite interesting there's a you know maybe some more political rant now is in this country the preserve of of interesting sports and music and art is only ever found in private schools like majority of musicians are private school based uh, bands and stuff like you, it's because in in state schools you don't have uh you know you're taught to be a worker yeah that's the majority of it but in there's enrichment in private schools art music learn those things like i used to teach japanese jiu-jitsu in private schools like because they could actually bring me in state schools no because that's not what we're after we're after just people who are going to pass their exams go and join the workforce in public school and paid you know feed paying school nope this enrichment like i live next to a a private school and they they go up for like climbing and stuff like that i think climbing in a in a school in england insane like never happen football or rugby or hockey that's your lot 
but rock climbing and 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 I remember you know I went to one Litchfield and the guy was teaching judo. You think judo in a state in a school in in the UK never, but unfortunately, if you go to a state school, you're going to have the keyboard and the recorder, and that's about it. <laughs> is that a funding issue, or is that just a political thing where? We need more people for the workforce because we've got an aging population that needs looking after. But you can have both. I think it's a, it's it's a political will more than anything else. It's um, it's it, poor people are there to to enter the workforce. People who are rich, you know, they can still do their classes and stuff, but they can also have time to learn more interesting things. I mean, you can definitely put the funding into it. The only time you ever see people who are, um, you know, given the, the the ability to learn these more enriching subjects, are you used to their parents put them through it? Like, you know, if you've got a parent who buys you a guitar or puts you in guitar lessons and stuff, then you're going to learn these things. But it's not something you get from school. Yet, you know, the private school I'm at, I'm pretty sure every kid is, is kind of like given the opportunity to learn an instrument. What do you want to learn? And I think, never never see that in a state school yeah i don't think i ever got the opportunity either it's kind of sad it's like because i've got two kids and i, I look at them thinking they're going to a rate you know a regular uk uh state school and i think if i just left them to it they would have none of that enrichment but i take them rock climbing i take you know i i teach my daughter to play bass guitar because i think you're not going to get it otherwise that she does keyboard at, at you know basic music but that's not enrichment that's kind of heartbreaking and and i think other countries i think do enrichment better than we do like you know looking at different sports and stuff and so uh the idea of brazilian jiu-jitsu being taught to young kids and then having like or even any sport like that like wrestling i mean americans do wrestling at college and high school we invented the thing like it comes from england lancashire oh. catches catch can and and uh, British folk styles of wrestling. We we uh, exported it to America, and then they do it in school. It's one of our sports, and yet it's completely dead. Even professional wrestling, like WWE, comes from British catch wrestling. Yet we exported the idea of wrestling for money, and they made it better. And now they do it. Yet it's something we did over here. Like in in you know in um, the Emirates from Abu Dhabi. Like I'm pretty sure that. Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is taught in schools. It's one of the lessons you can take in school. Every kid can learn Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. That's crazy. It's amazing. And yet, here, we're a big boxing culture here. We love boxing. Never sit in a school. And people go, oh, it's health and safety and stuff like that. No, it's not. That's just trying to get us to, to fight amongst ourselves. It's a political will. Like, they, they set targets. You have to pass these English maths and science. That's it. Like you're going to succeed in those geography, history, and the language. Yeah, I guess if you look at it in from a in a longer point of view as well, like if you look at it in a longer time scale, it probably would end up being better as well because obviously the more physically active you are, the fitter you are, and the less likely that you end up having a heart attack at fifty. But just a happier society yeah essentially but... you have a happier society that will automatically fix so many issues like when you have like something to be enriched about and not just um 
I mean, that's uh, it was funny going back into the world of Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Uh, so there's another sport that runs alongside it called Luta Livre, which is the uh, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Gracie Jiu Jitsu was a preserve of middle class people because you had to be able to afford a gi. And so the predominantly people who did it in Brazil were, were middle class. They could afford it. Like the, okay. So the Gracie, uh, so the Gracie family, they weren't like poor people. Or... Were, uh, Gracie Senior was a, a um, businessman. That's how he set up that original gym, hey. the, the Maeda. So it was a preserve of middle class kids. You had to come in, you had to afford a gi, which you think, you know, mid 40s, 50s Brazil. Getting a gi there. Come on. Um at the same time, in the favelas, you had poor kids doing a sport called luta livre, which is essentially no gi jujitsu. It was a style. It was it was influenced by British catch wrestling, and it included leg locks. And then you'd have these competitions between the middle class Brazilian jujitsu, crazy jujitsu kids, and the poor luta livre kids who were doing no gi. And any time the luta livre kids would win, it was usually with leg locks. And that's then that created the stigma on leg locks. Like usually in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, they're banned. You can't do leg locks because they're too dangerous or something. Uh-huh. It was essentially, and they were called like the poor kids technique, the poor man's technique. It was because it was done by poor kids. It's actually classism, which is insane. That's crazy. I'd never thought you'd find that in a in a sport like uh, well Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Which is actually why, like I remember when I first started, you found more nogi up north. Because the the north was more mining uh, mining societies, and that's where catch wrestling was predominantly. As in, you'd, you'd come out the mines and you'd have a scrap in the field. Yet the cities and uh, richer areas were places where you'd find more judo, more martial arts, more Brazilian jiu-jitsu because people would afford geese and stuff. So the north had more of a no-gi culture when I first started. It still kind of does, which is really interesting because it's still there's a, still a classism here. It's a lot easier now because geese are cheaper and more plentiful but historically no like it was just you know you'd have guys in in pe shorts and and tank tops and that was it uh that's that's actually quite crazy i didn't i i've never even heard of that until you just said it it's it's fascinating to me that, that it's very pervasive this idea and then you can liken that to schools like Giving a kid, giving a bunch of kids a football to run around with is a lot easier than getting someone who specialises in a martial art or, or whatever yeah. to come in and teach, or even like you know, specialise in teaching guitar to teach a guitar class and buying guitars for kids and stuff like that. Buy them a recorder, they'll be happy then. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, like going back to you talking about how like just we can become like a happier society, right? I, I remember like once um, once I started doing this, I've been trying to get my friends into it as well. And I still remember just coming into like a session one day, came in like miserable because just wasn't just, a good, it just wasn't a good day. And I came out just as a different person yeah. as I went in. And it is crazy how something like that can just change your like whole day. Yeah, and it's it's definitely up to the the environment like it's it's the environment you know it's one thing that i try and make sure of is i want it to be like a night out you come in and you leave happier like you are here it's it's you're here of your own volition and if i'm making you sad then you ain't staying i want you to come in and i want you to leave 
feeling good about yourself. So let's, well, how do I do that? And that could be anything. That could be the music. Uh, usually if I put music on, it's 80s because 80s was fantastic. I don't listen to 80s in my p- personal time. Hell no. But it's great rolling music. Like I don't want to just put on like, you know, some some house music or stuff like that. You know, average kind of gym workout music. No, no it's a party. Like we're doing something. We're, we're dressing in lycra and cuddling each other on the floor. Like I realize how dumb that is in itself. So let's just really lean in on it and let's have fear. Everyone walking out going, that was a good night. It was a good workout. There's sweat everywhere. I'm a bit broken, but I had fun. Almost like started dancing. Like you see people just like, you know, when you're rolling to sing along to the tracks and you think, because everyone knows them, like, you know, Billie Jean comes on and everyone's like getting into it. And you think that's awesome. And everyone leaves really happy. And jujitsu itself is obviously a very fun sport. Like I said, it's a social club. It's, you know, I love the idea that everyone just sits around and chats as well. And, you know, I want it's a social environment and that's what makes people happy. And um, it's kind of sad again, like, uh, you know, it can be blocked off from everyone. I'd hate that idea. Yeah. What what kind of role has someone like Gordon Ryan played in making jiu-jitsu more well i don't want to say popular but more well known he hasn't made it well known like not not in the not for a casual audience like in in the sport yeah he's big fish but outside the sport who the hell is he like Mm. you, you know you could tell me uh names out of different sports like golfers and stuff i'm like i don't really care about golf uh, he is a big fish in the golfing pond he's not a big fish and you know a, a you know tiger woods has never made me want to play golf i know who tiger woods is i know what golf is doesn't make me want to play golf um and i think gordon ryan is is just a voice in the jiu-jitsu community same with a lot of them is that and same with connor to an extent you know I don't think there's many people that wouldn't have taken up MMA. People who wouldn't have taken up MMA who did because of Connor. Yeah. Like, if you're going to take up MMA, you're going to take it up with or without Connor. And um, maybe he puts more eyes on it, but it doesn't help the sport grow. Same with Gordon. He's just, he's he's very good. Obviously, he's a fantastic athlete. He's probably one of the best we've had. Um, very smart guy as well and he's he's antagonistic and it gets his brand out in the jiu-jitsu world as well which helps like if you're quiet no one's going to talk about you if you're there like saying the things he does people are going to talk about you like we are now yeah so is that kind of is that what's needed for the sport to become well known like you just need someone who well, I don't want to say public enemy, but is antagonistic on, well, I guess, social media now. I think it's the growth of jiu-jitsu is always going to be organic. Like, I don't think you need a really big name. Like, There's plenty of celebrities that do it. Tom Hardy does it, Ashton Kutcher, uh, Keanu Reeves. You know, It's one of the big in sports in like Hollywood yeah. or whatever. Um, you know, Guy Ritchie. Like the director, has been doing it for over twenty years. Like he, he was oh. one of the first in the UK to exactly. But how much has he brought eyes onto jujitsu? He hasn't. Um, which makes you think at some point then Madonna's probably done jujitsu. <laughs> like, and so it doesn't like 
but this sport has just naturally grown the internet i think will do more for it because it will just like people like yourself like myself will just randomly click on it and go what the hell is this and we'll go try it out and then you have more black belts in areas it's 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 availability scarcity like when i started there wasn't jujitsu near here it was submission wrestling and now there's four or five jujitsu gyms you know around the corner and it's it's that's what's going to grow the sport it's it's awareness um for the internet and availability like you know same as mcdonald's like if you if there's no mcdonald's near your house you ain't trying mcdonald's (laughs) you might know what mcdonald's is you still don't have mcdonald's yeah i'd never thought of that but i guess probably in a greater way as well organic growth will always be more sustainable than um something growing because of just one person being yeah i think it's a boom and it's a fad and it will die off like i'm aware of that like karate kung fu they all have their moments in the sun krav maga or whatever and it will hit um a flood It'll, it'll it'll be everywhere and then it will just quietly go away and then Again, like you know, going from even space of twelve years to having zero jujitsu gyms in Stafford to five—that's growth. Like, at what point do we stop? Because those people are going to split off and they're going to start their own gyms, and then you have eight jujitsu gyms, whatever. And there's only so many people to go around. There's no, there's not a groundswell of people wanting to join jujitsu, um, and the numbers are never going to grow. Do you really think it will die off? Not die off, but it won't be as well. It won't be as big as it is becoming. It will get to a point, and then it will it will saturate, and then it will just it will it will. I mean, there's karate. I mean, taekwondo. There's still gyms around. Yeah, but they've died off. Yeah, but I think maybe with karate, um, I could be completely wrong, but it's not as legit as something. MMA's shown a lot of sports for the what they are, but even then. MMA started 30 years ago. Taekwondo yeah. still exists. Aikido still exists. <laughs> so as many times as you think you can get rid of these things, you can't. We've known what works for 30 years, yet internet warriors will come out and say, yeah, but it wouldn't work in the streets though because you have rules in MMA. Like I'm pretty sure if you put John Jones in front of someone, he'd still, <laughs> I'd put my money on him winning most fights. <laughs> It's a fair point. I'd never thought of that. Like, it will just reach a saturation point and then just taper off eventually. Yeah, something new will start. Something always, ha- something new will always come around. We just don't know what that is yet. You- Climate change. <laughs> That's you- what's gonna stop us. <laughs> Have you got any thoughts on what that could be? Is that is there any kind of new martial art that's being developed or not on my radar necessarily? I think we're still in the jujitsu phase, but. You don't know what's going around the corner. Maybe boxing's going to come back. Maybe Muay Thai. Muay Thai hasn't had a massive moment yet. Maybe that would be it. Yeah. Um. I I didn't know that there was quite a famous like Muay Thai gym. Well, uh, Muay Thai kickboxing gym, like just around the corner from here. John Steele's gym. Yeah, yeah. John Steele. Yeah. Uh, that was like a shocking um, revelation to me. Again, I think Thai boxing hasn't had that big saturation moment maybe that'll be it maybe it's something else entirely maybe just mma like mma itself isn't a mixed martial art anymore it's become its own martial art 
Like you go and learn MMA, you don't learn boxing, you don't learn jujitsu and wrestling and mix all mm-hmm. together. You learn the art of MMA now. I think that's going to be more pervasive. Right. What kind of a role does wrestling have in a sport like MMA? Wrestling is the decider. As in... Um, because, sorry, the way I've kind of seen it in matches is wrestling is how you take someone to the ground and then BJJ becomes how you kind of keep them on the ground and well finish them off. Or I Is said, that right? Wrestling is the one that decides where the fight's going to happen. Like, if, if, if you're a wrestler and you want to hit someone, they ain't taking you down. Like, John Jones is a fantastic wrestler, but he doesn't take people down. He chooses, I want to keep this fight standing. And then you've got other wrestlers who go, no, actually, I want to take you to the ground. I'm just going to smother you, GSP style. Um, and I think wrestling is the is the crux of everything, as in they are the ones that decide. If you are a fantastic striker, but you have no wrestling, you ain't getting your striking game today. If you are a fantastic jiu-jitsu expert, Damian Meyer versus Tyrone Woodley, but you can't get the fight to the ground, sorry, you're getting punched today. Wrestling is the decider. Like, and and jiu-jitsu isn't necessarily a good sport, good art for holding people down. Wrestling is a good art for holding people down because jiu-jitsu people stay on the floor. Okay. Wrestlers try and get back to their feet. That's a, art, The art of wrestling is not landing on your back. Is that why Crone Gracie never kind of took off in UFC. Yeah, because he wasn't, you know, obviously had good wrestling for jiu-jitsu, but not good, good, you know, or, you know, like you have uh, college at wrestlers, you know, Cain Velasquez's of the world who've been wrestling since they were like born. Those kind of people are always going to have a massive advantage. I think it's something like 70% of all UFC champions were predominant grapplers. Uh, wow, okay. So do you think um, like you were talking about before, Izzy and Pereira, when their next match, well, when, when, whenever their rematch is, do you think wrestling will become a decided Because we saw Izzy kind of use a bit of wrestling and uh, Jiu-Jitsu as well to try and get him. Wrestling's always going to be the side. If you have just two strikers, then yeah, they're just going to stand and bang. But if you have someone who's, if there's a stylistic uh, mismatch, the wrestling will decide. I think that's the thing. Between two strikers or between two wrestlers, you know, whatever's equal styles, their styles will, will fight. But against mismatch styles, wrestling decides. Whoever's got the better wrestling, that's where the fight's happening. I mean, there's, there's always lucky punches and lucky <coughs> subs, but in a, in a protracted war, wrestling decides it. Interesting. That... Mm. That's something I never kind of like really thought of as much. It's pretty much how this whole sport came about. You think Bazunji just who came in and was wiping the floor of everyone in a quite literal sense. And then what shut it down is people not letting them go to the floor again. Like, actually, no, my wrestling says we ain't going back down to the ground. What are you going to do now? I'm going to hit you. Is that one of the reasons why you've started incorporating more wrestling into the training now? Uh, I think Oh, well, not, in, not, the classes, not necessarily. I, mean. I think it's the fact that simply uh, jujitsu is a philosophy, not an art. It's an idea. How do I take you down, control you, and submit you? What if it fits within that philosophy? Anything goes. And so, um, 
because it's a philosophy it's not stagnant it's not set in its ways of like this is the curriculum you stick to the curriculum we adapt and so we see holes and we go right actually we need to get better at taking people down or standing back up again we'll incorporate more wrestling i mean you look at the 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 pie of grappling the great big pie of grappling all the different rule sets do is just take a sliver of that pie like judo used to incorporate double legs and ground fighting. I mean, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Um, I don't want. I know we've been talking for a while. Uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is. I've been talking. Oh damn. Um, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is a. Um, almost like a mistranslation. So, when Kano uh, left, when um, he had Japanese traditional Japanese Jiu-Jitsu in Japan. And it was predominantly with middle class people who wanted to reenact the days of the samurai and they'd just be in, in dojos, punching the air and doing throws. And the guy called Jigaro Kano came around and went, you know what, I'm going to turn this into a sport. I'm going to take out some stuff which maybe cause a bit too many injuries and we're going to turn this into a sport. And he called it Kano's Jiu-Jitsu. Then, this is to my knowledge, I might be incorrect. Uh, one of he sent his minions out into the world to spread the good word of Kano's jiu-jitsu. And one of them ended up, after some traveling around England and various other places, in Brazil. And so he met a guy called, you know, Mr. Gracie, who opened up a school with him. And they taught this jiu-jitsu. Back in Japan, Mr. Kano renamed his Kano's jiu-jitsu to judo. That was the sport. But obviously that translation never reached Brazil. Okay. So, what we actually do is Brazilian judo. It's not jujitsu. It's actually a form of judo. It's original judo. But the reason it looks so different to judo is because over the years, judo got mangled from different martial arts and went, we're going to change the rules. And so, they used to be able to double leg and single leg, like wrestlers in judo. But then, a load of wrestlers put on geese and were murdering them. So, they went, nope, can't touch the legs anymore. Can only control the upper body. And then loads of like Brazilian jiu-jitsu guys were messing them up on the floor of submissions. And they went, no, we're going to make it so you can only do 15 seconds on the floor. And so literally they just make their sliver, sliver of the pie smaller and smaller. Um, and so all the different uh, styles of grappling are just rule sets on this pie. And that's what dictates the different arts. Like if you were to like completely remove the rules and just grapple, that would be the biggest sliver of the pie. But the second you start taking the parts out, like you can't submit each other. You have wrestling. You can't touch the legs and you can maybe submit each other a little bit. You have judo. You put on a gi, now you have judo and stuff like that. You take off the gi, you have wrestling. But and, and bazoon jiu-jitsu is just the most free version of the rules. Okay. It's the biggest cut of the pie. And so whenever we, we look at that massive cut, we then go, right, we want to focus on that slice of the pie that we, we, we incorporate. Who've been specializing in it? Well, the guys who do a lot of throwing are the judo guys. We'll go talk to them for a bit. Ah, uh, the guys who do a lot of like slamming people on their heads, the wrestlers, we'll go talk to them for a bit because it all forms part of our cut of the pie. They are within our cut of the pie. And the less rules we have, the more the pie we have. Okay. That's something I'd actually never, again, like I really, I do want to kind of get into the history of well like learn a bit more about the history of it you got any books you'd recommend uh no i don't <laughs> <laughs> uh, just general 
research it, man. It sounds like a Joe Rogan podcast already. Uh, no, just uh, general things I've picked up over the years. It's, okay. it's kind of um, created my awareness of this sport. like Because I, I, I do have a belt in Luta Livre as well. So I know the Luta okay. Livre side and... and um, know the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu aspect of it, wide leg locks, and it's just it's just years of of being within this sport. It's just made me aware. Okay, but I'm sure you can find some information out there. All right, um, wrap up in a bit. That's perfect. Just right, one more question: What makes someone a good coach? Um, so this is interesting. Uh, I didn't know what you have ideas of what coaching means. Like you think of, of football and stuff like that. Um, but I thought, you know, I need to get better. I want to become a better coach. So I uh, read books and there's one that really changed everything. And uh, do you know the history of the word coach? Why we call it a coach and not a teacher or a professor or whatever? No. Is there was a Hungarian village in the 14th century that made um, wagons drawn by horses. And those wagons... Um, were very respected and purchased and it was from a village called Coach so they were called Coaches and so that's why you think of a big bus that carries people around it's a coach based on this Hungarian village from the Middle Ages and I was like okay well how's that relate to the word coach it probably just doesn't but I like the the, uh, the way it kind of can be can be explained because it then helps me become a better coach is a coach is something that gets someone when they where they want to be when they cannot get there themselves compared to a teacher who just is someone who explains something to you or a professor or something like that mm. a coach is someone who gets you where you want to be where you cannot get there yourself that's what a coach does in a, in a physical sense as in that you think the bus it gets you where you want to be because you cannot get there yourself and so that's something I kind of keep in my head at all times when I'm coaching someone is I look at you and think, why are you here? Where do you actually want to be? My job is to get you there in whatever way I can facilitate that, be it technically, be it through inspiration or motivation, be it just dragging your ass out of bed and making you come to class, be it putting you in front of the right people and giving you the right opportunities. That's not just a teacher then. A teacher is someone who is someone who's explaining a subject to you a coach is someone who's trying to get you somewhere. And I think if you have that idea in your head constantly whenever you meet someone new and you, whenever you want to um, help someone, like I'm trying to, you want to be somewhere, I'm going to try and help you get somewhere. That is coaching. That's quite, it's quite beautiful. I hope so. Like, I, I have it on the inside of my jiu-jitsu front page diary, of, of my like little jiu-jitsu diary of like ideas and where people are at and stuff. That's on the front page. Just to remind myself all the time, you're helping people get to where they want to be because they cannot get there themselves. And you have a opportunities that they may not have to do this. Oh, that's great. Thank you. Uh, thank you for coming down. That was my pleasure. Absolutely and, my pleasure. Uh, hopefully you can do this again sometime. Yeah, I'd love to. Obviously, uh, I can talk for hours. <laughs> no, it's great. Is there anything that you want to kind of say before signing off? No, no. Uh, thank you for having me. That was, that was a lot of fun. If anyone else wants to come down and try jiu-jitsu, we are quite friendly in a way. Um, and uh, if you type my name to YouTube, Google, whatever, you'll find plenty of information about me dotted around all over the place. All right, brilliant. Thanks for listening, guys.
Cheers. Cheers. Thank you.